Very good, very good. Now, I want to just say this because uh, I know that um, this is going to be needed today. Uh, we're going to be having life care counselors on both sides of the room for you Falcon fans who are struggling <laughs> this morning. Um, and, and I am one of them. Uh, that's what you call a good old-fashioned beatdown. And I know that we have a lot of Green Bay fans that, that come to Westridge Church. Um, and go Bears, where did that come from? <laughs> all right, so be nice to all of us Falcon fans, if you would, okay, this morning. Bunch of cheeseheads. All right, so <clears throat> get your Bibles turned to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And it's good to see that uh, you made it back for round two of the Broke series. Uh, anytime that you talk about money, you know, either people... They come out of guilt or they come because they just know that this, I, I got to hear this. We got to get this right. Or people scammer and they go, oh, I'm going to visit another church this morning. Um, but this series isn't all about money and, and we'll be talking more about some other things uh, later into it. But last week I talked about the idea that it seems like everything is broke. It seems like everyone is broke. Our economy's broke. Businesses are broke. People are broke. And we answered the question, why are people broke? Well, because they spend more than they earn, they buy things they cannot afford, they make unwise investments, and they don't plan for rough times. And we said that when people act like this, there's collateral damage. Uh, relationships get damaged, children suffer through stuff like that, um, your financial world begins to fall apart, the church suffers, other pe- places suffer. And we looked at the passage from the Bible in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, where, where King David was, was building a temple for God, and we discovered that God is not broke. Now, the world's economy may be in a very bad recession right now, but God's economy is very, very strong. You say, why? Well, because he owns everything. God owns everything. Everything belongs to him. And God has called us to be a steward of his stuff. A steward is someone who protects the owner's assets with fierce intensity. And God has put on loan to all of us some assets, and he is watching to see how we manage his stuff. Stewardship is all about arranging our personal finances in such a way that we truly live out the belief that everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is distributed by God. Proper stewardship requires that I begin to look at everything that God has entrusted me with, I begin to look at that in a different way and to realize I'm not an owner, I'm a steward, I'm a manager. And because of that, I am seriously compelled to reorder my financial world. Now, I want you to imagine this morning that um, Amy and I, my wife Amy and I, that we decided to to invite you over to to our house for dinner. And um, Let's just say that, that we, we welcomed you into our house and we sat down and had some small talk for a while and then we said, hey, let's go to the table and, and you sat at the table and you didn't know what we were having because you didn't smell anything. But Amy opened the refrigerator and she just started bringing out Tupperware bowls. And she started unli- you know, unlifting the Tupperware and there was chicken from two nights ago and there was you know, meatloaf from you know, last night and then all of a sudden she put chi- little plastic uh, or, uh, paper uh, Chinese uh, food box on there from what we had three days ago and then and then a Taco Bell bag on there of burritos from four days ago and a Chick-fil-A bag and you're like listen we're so glad you came to our house I mean we we're, we're just gonna we're just gonna give you all the leftovers that we've had for the last you know several days and we pray we, we dig in you'd be thinking what in the world now I want to tell you this I've been married to Amy now for over 18 years that has never, ever, ever happened at our house, nor will it ever happen, all right? Matter of fact, 
If you were to come to our house for dinner, I mean, she'd put out our best dishes, the best tablecloth. I mean, she would, she would probably paint a room in our house before you came over, which she's done that before. Um, I mean, it would be clean. I mean, you would get the very, very best. She might try out a new recipe or whatever her favorite recipe is. I mean, that's the way that we would treat you. And you, so, so, you know, we would never, ever consider ever, ever giving our guests leftovers. And you know what? You probably never would either. And yet way too often, this is the picture of what we do to God. We treat him like a Tupperware God. You know, we we offer him what we have left over and then we expect him to be satisfied and to bless us. You see, the reason why this happens is because a lot of people are suffering from an economic condition called brokenomics. And brokenomics has caused us to fall into a very, very broken financial situation. Well, what exactly does that look like? Well, I want to lay out for you um, the brokenomics philosophy of how we handle our money. Normally when we get paid, what we do, and this is from Ron Blue's book, Mastering Your Money, this is what we do. First of all, we spend it. Very first thing, we spend it. Then we repay debt. Then we pay taxes, and then the fourth thing we do is we might save a little bit, and then we give it. The average American, this is how they spend their money, in that order. We get paid and we spend. Then we pay a little debt, and then we pay taxes, although we may not think about that much. It just kind of happens. Then if there's any leftover, we'll save it, and if there's any, any leftover, we'll reach deep down into our pocket, and we'll pull out what's left, and we say, you know, God, I wish that I could do more, and we give him our leftovers. That's the brokenomics philosophy of spending money. And that's how someone who believes that they're an owner, that's how they spend their money. Now, there are two things that determine, okay, that determine how much of your money goes into those five things. One, your priorities, and two, your self-control. See, a lot of people, they sit down at the beginning of the year and they, and they create a new budget. And here we are at the beginning of this year. And some of you may have already done this. You've created this new budget with new ways to get out of debt. And, and you set some priorities. And your priorities are set on whether or not Um, you're able to fulfill them based upon your self-control, all right? And we start off with great intentions. And we'll create a budget that, that is going to help us keep our spending under, uh, you know, under control. And, and, and we, we set a budget to help us get out of debt. And we, we really want to be really disciplined about staying within that budget. But then, all of a sudden, within a few days or maybe a few weeks, or if you can make it even more than a month, something out there catches our eye. Something that we've, we, we, just, we just have to have it, all right? And we lose our control and our priorities go right out the window. Now, the worst place for this to happen is the mall, okay? Now, I don't know about you, um, but, but it, you know, I, I think a lot of people, they feel like that they can't have a good time at the mall unless they buy something, all right? You could never go into a mall, just walk around, get some Starbucks, sit there and talk to people. You have to buy something. Now, when Amy and I go to the mall, we, we approach the mall very differently, okay? When I go to the mall, I know exactly what store I'm going to go to. I know exactly what I want to buy. I go into the mall. I go to that store. I buy that. I leave the mall, okay? Amy, knows she knows exactly what she's going to buy as well. But she goes into that store. She checks it out. But then she's got to go to five or six other stores, okay, to see that same thing. And there probably are three or four stores that we're going to stop at along the way. And I don't know about you, but I can only take about an hour of the mall, all right? I can do things for a long time, you know, but, but the mall for about an hour and I'm just wiped out. I mean, I've had enough. It's like, you know, now I want to tell you something. The mall can be very, very dangerous because those store windows that you're passing, they are all strategically designed 
to get you to buy something, all right? They push their, put their best clothes on their best mannequin, and they're all screaming at you as you walk past, buy me, buy me, buy me. And you go, I feel bad about it. I got to go buy something in there, you know? And that's kind of how we approach the mall. Our self-control goes right out the window. Now, the whole concept of brokenomics ownership says, I'm the king of my financial world, and I'll spend my finances how I want to spend it. And then I'll pay bills. And then I'll pay enough taxes to keep the IRS away. And then I'll, maybe I'll throw a little smidgen towards my savings account. And if I feel really compelled, or if there's a cause that really grabs my heart, then I'll give some money towards it. But again, see, the problem with that kind of mindset is that God always gets the leftovers. Whatever is left over, God gets it. And we say, God, I wish I could do more. I wish that I had a little bit more to give you, but I've already kind of divvied it out in all these other places. Now, I want to make a statement that's probably going to tick some of you off, but I, but I believe this with all of my heart, all right? This book up here on this table, the book that you have in your lap, there are over 2,000 verses in this Bible that deal with the issue of money. Matter of fact, more than heaven and hell combined, all right? And you cannot call yourself a devoted, growing follower of Jesus Christ and continue to handle your money this way. To blow off all of these verses, to blow off this passage that we're going to talk about this morning and go, I'm just going to keep doing it this way. No, 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 no. God thought it was so important that he put more verses and maybe anything else in here so that we would know how to not only handle our finances, but to line ourselves up for his blessings on our lives. So this morning... I want to challenge you to blow up the whole concept of brokenomics, the concept of ownership. And I want to challenge you to reverse the order in which you spend your money. All right? And this morning, in a very practical way, I want to challenge you to handle your finances like a steward. All right? Like a manager. Because when you become a steward, the whole concept, the whole idea of ownership just goes right out the window. You won't even consider giving God your leftovers. You do financially what you would do if you were entertaining your best friends in your home, a fine guest in your home. You prepare the finest for the guest, and then you live off the leftovers. Now, what does the Bible have to say about this whole idea of brokenomics? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, which is a very familiar passage, a very incredible passage, Matthew gives us a first-person account of what Jesus had to say about the whole issue of money and stewardship, all right? And in this passage, Jesus is challenging the thinking of the day. He is challenging the whole ownership mentality. And he says to those of you out there that worry about money, that worry about what you're going to wear, whether you're wearing the right clothing or not, and those of you who worry about what you drive or worry about what you live, and you just worry, 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 because you're always trying to keep up with somebody, you know, th- with people. Listen up, he says. Stuff brings stress. Stuff brings stress, and the reason you're stressed is, is, because you don't, is not because you don't have enough. It's because you think and you act as an owner. And as long as you think and act as an owner, there's going to be stress when it comes to your finances. And Jesus says this. He says, I would like to lift that stress off of you. I'd like to take that stress off of you. All right? Now, I know that that sounds pretty appealing this morning, doesn't it? I mean, just think what it would be like to experience stress-free living when it comes to our finances and to our, and just all of our stuff. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus starts off this portion, this way of, of Scripture. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, 
There may be some of you in the crowd who are, who are checking out this whole church thing this morning, and this is all foreign to you, and it doesn't make any, it maybe it doesn't make any sense at all. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus is speaking here to those who claim to be his followers, and he says very clearly, if I'm going to be the Lord of your life, that it is crucial that you get in line with God's principles for how you handle your finances, because if you don't, this whole issue is going to continue to dog you. It's going to continue to cause trouble for your life. Jesus says, your heart's going to be in conflict. There will always be stress. Your desire to love God and your devotion to to, to love money will always compete with each other. However, when Jesus is completely the Lord of your financial world, instead instead the God who constantly gets your leftovers, then we'll be able to see money as a tool. We'll be able to look at all of our finances and see it as a tool, all right? It's a tool that God has entrusted with to, to us to invest in and to further his kingdom. Now, last week we talked about the whole idea of, of serving God and stuff. Now, I want you to listen to this verse, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? In other words, why are you so stressed out about your clothes and where you live and where you drive? Isn't there more to life than that? To which all of us would say yes. There is more to life than that. I mean, life is is, is more than, than that because tomorrow, if any of us found out that maybe we had two, you know, maybe two months to live or two weeks to live, I mean, we wouldn't even think about any of that stuff. All of that stuff would go out right out the door. I mean, if I, if I found out tomorrow that I had, um, you know, some kind of terminal illness, I wouldn't even think about what I drive, what I live, what my clothes look. I mean, none of that would be important anymore. And Jesus says, that's my point. Life is more important than all of that stuff that you're stressed out over right now. It's more important than all of that stuff that worries you today. Then he says in Matthew six twenty six, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. Do they not labor or spin? Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, the richest man that ever lived, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and and, and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, let me tell you what owners do. Owners constantly feel the weight of their financial, financial world. If you're an owner and it's all up to you, you're going to be feeling the weight of your financial world every single day. And here's what Jesus is asking us. He's asking us very simply, do you trust me? Because if you trusted me, you would know that I'm willing to carry the weight for you. I'm willing to take this financial burden on my shoulders. But as long as you prioritize and live your life as an owner, you will live as if God is not financially faithful. You'll live your life as if God cannot be trusted financially. You'll live your life as if God cannot take care of your needs. Now look at verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, I want you to repeat this after me. I want you to repeat this after me. My heavenly Father knows all that I need. Ready? Here we go. My heavenly Father knows all that I need. Now, I want to ask you something. 
Do you truly believe that? Do you truly believe that? If you truly believe that my heavenly Father knows all that I need and he loves me and he's going to take care of me, guess what happens? The pressure lifts. But as long as I'm the owner and as long as it's all up to me, then the pressure on my life continues to build. Then Jesus gives an incredible principle here. He says, let me tell you a whole new way to live your life. Let me give you a whole new approach to everything that you have and everything that you need. And then he lays out verse 33, which I love. Let's go look at this. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. In other words, if you'll stop living like an owner and start living like a steward and say, God, I'm going to stop giving you my leftovers and I'm going to start focusing and funding your kingdom. I'm going to trust you. Lord, then I know that I can trust you to take care of mine. As I focus on and fund your kingdom, guess what? I know I can trust you to take care of my kingdom. And Jesus says this, as you do your part, then I'll fulfill a promise. I'll take care of all of the things that worry you about money. I'll remove the burden because I know exactly what your needs are. I'm aware of your bills. I'm aware of who lives in your house. I'm aware of their needs as well. If you will break the cycle of brokenomics and if you will reorder your financial world to live as a steward, and if you will live to seek me first financially, I'll meet your needs. Jesus says, if you will invest in my kingdom, I will take care of yours. And what an incredible promise. What an incredible promise. You can go to bed at night worry-free because, because you're, you've invited God into the area of your finances. Now, wouldn't you like to live your life that way? Wouldn't it be better? Isn't it true? Isn't it true that no matter how much money you make, you still worry? You still have pressure? You still have stress? Isn't it interesting that, that more doesn't solve it? Listen, in my second ministry job, which I started in 1991, I made $27,000. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm rich. I, how, I don't even know how I'm going to spend all this money. I thought, you know what? I'm never going to have to worry about bills and finances again. How am I going to spend all of this? And then I got married. And Amy brought into the marriage, she was a, she was a, a school teacher. She taught at a Christian school. She brought all of her $14,000 a year salary into our financial situation. And together, we were like, Wow! And then we bought a house, then we had kids, we had a car, and we had a student loan and all this stuff. And, and you know what, honestly, I mean, there were moments where it, it you know, with like, how in the world is gonna, this is going to happen? How, how are we going to pay this and how are we going to meet this? And I mean, it, it was tough. But I want to tell you what Amy and I learned. We learned this very early in life from some very godly and wise parents. We learned that God was the owner and that we were just stewards and that if we could just trust him, no matter what, no matter what we were dealing with financially, if we could just trust God and continue to invest in his kingdom, no matter what we made, he would be faithful. And can I tell you something? He has always, always been faithful. No matter whatever we didn't have, no matter what was going on, no matter what, he's always been faithful. See, Jesus says it doesn't matter how much money you make because the problem is not the amount you make. The problem is your mindset. You're living and thinking as an owner. See, this whole series, it's not about trying to get you to cough up your money to the church. It's all about trying to help you reorder your world and to change your mind about how you've been living financially, to get you healthy. So, how do I reverse the whole cycle of brokenomics? What do I do to reverse the whole cycle? Here's what you do, first of all. You reverse the way that you spend. 
Again, I want to show you the whole cycle of brokenomics. Here's, here's what we do. We spend it, we repay debt, we pay taxes, we save it, and then if we've got a little leftover, we give God all the leftovers and we give it. What do you do here? You flip the list. You flip the list so that all of a sudden you are into God's economics where you give it, you save it, you pay taxes, you repay debt, and then you spend it. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Now, what am I doing by reversing the list? Here's what I'm doing. I'm inviting God into my financial world. Now, listen, I know that I'm about, some, I'm about to rock some of your minds and, and the way that you think about finances, but let me show you how this works. Again, it isn't about giving more. It's about thinking differently, all right? Here's what you do. When you get paid, whenever that happens, the first thing that you do, okay, you write your very first check to God. You give the very first of what you have to God. Again, since I, was, since I was nine years old and I worked for my dad in his flower shop, cleaning flowers, sweeping up stuff, watering plants, my mom taught me early on, first 10% goes to God. Now here's what we say. God, we have prepared, here's what, here's what we have to do. We prepared a first class meal and my family and I are going to live on what's left over because we want to make sure that your kingdom gets invested in and we will trust you with the rest. Now, according to what this passage says, God says, that's great because here's the deal. You don't have to worry about leftovers because there's going to be plenty left over for you because I know exactly what you need and I know exactly when you need it and you can trust me because I'm going to be involved all the way. Now, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, written by the wisest man who ever lived, he says this, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor the Lord first with every increase that you have. Now, I know that some of you, um, you may come to church only two times a month or you go on vacation and what happens is when you do that, you take your money with you. And we don't invest where God, we, we, that whole principle of investing first, first fruits, writing our first check, it just goes right out the window. So that's why we have online giving now. You just get set up, go onto the webpage, get set up, and then you don't have to worry about it. You just go ahead, you set it up, giving God first. And so whether you're here, whether you're on, whatever you go, it just, it just automatically happens. And I know some of you, you like, to, you like to write the check. It's an act of worship. Quite honestly, that's what Amy and I do. But for some of you, and many of you already have, set, have, have done this, get set up online. Now, I know what people ask me a lot of times, how much should I give? What should I give? Well, here's where you, need, here's, here's where you start. Start at percentage giving, and then work your way to a tithe, all right? And then blow it out of the water with generosity, all right? Blow it out of the water. Now, what does God's word say about giving? Here's the deal. Even though he owns it all, even though he owns it all, he just asks for 10%, and that's what the word tithe means. Now, I know that some of, you, that, some of that scares you, all right, but I want to I explain the whole logic and thinking behind tithing. In my hand this morning, I've got 10 $1 bills, all right, and here's what tithing says, all right? Tithing says this, God, since everything belongs to you, and I have 10 of your dollars, okay, I have 10 of your dollars, what do you want me to do with these $10 that you have put on loan to me? And God says, here's what I want you to do. All I'm asking from you is to give me one. You say, that's it? Yes, just one. Now, what what, what made me thinking? What if I want to give two? God says, go ahead, give two, but all I'm asking for is one. 
What a deal. What a deal. Now, what's that like? Here's what it's like. It's like being someone's financial manager. And you get 90% of what people invest. They invest $100,000. Guess what? You get to keep the other 90000 You get to keep the other 90%. That's an incredible deal, isn't it? So if you make $70,000, you, uh, how, much, how much money? It's $7,000. You, you give back $7,000. But you get to keep the rest of the, uh, the 90%. Now, I know some of you are going, well, I don't, uh, let me remind you one more time. It's not your money. And as long as you have this mindset of ownership, you will always struggle with this thing right here. You will always see yourself as a steward. But if you can see yourself, you always see yourself, sorry, as an owner. But if you can see yourself as a steward, if you can see yourself as a manager, guess what? Tithing becomes the minimum. You almost feel guilty about that. Now, I know... And I've heard this over and over again. People say, you know, tithing is Old Testament. Tithing went out the door with the Old Testament. God owns it all. Well, I want to share a passage of scripture with you. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is speaking here. And he says this to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus says you need to be practicing things like love and kindness and faithfulness, but don't neglect giving to kingdom work. And then he puts a plug in for tithing. So for some of you to just say, you know what? I, there's no, I know you're thinking, there's no way that I could just automatically just start giving 10. I'm so upside down. I'm so messed up. There's no way. Here's where you start. Start with percentage giving. I could, I could spend a whole next 15 minutes talking about God and numbers and how certain numbers have significance. But just start with a percentage and then work your way to 10. And when you get to 10, don't be legalistic about it. Blow the 10 out of the water and get generous. Now, again, I know some of you are thinking this is impossible. I want to tell you what we're, what we're doing. Um, next Sunday morning, we are inviting a special guest speaker to, to come. And he's an expert on how to do this, how to get your financial world. His name is Joe Sangle. He's a great communicator. He's been, he, this is a guy who was down to the bottom with nothing. And God just rescued him. And he's, spent, he's spending the rest of his life helping people to get financially healthy. Next Saturday, we're going to be training financial coaches to come alongside of you throughout the year, you know, whenever you need that. And then the following Thursday on January the 27th, we're going to be having a financial learning experience. And you go onto the website, it's a two-hour deal. You don't have to pay a thing for it. We've already signed up for this. I've already signed my kids up for it because I want my boys to learn this before they get out of my house. I want them to learn proper stewardship. Be responsible. I heard someone say one time, listen, I've never met anybody who's gotten poor by giving. I've never met anybody who's gotten poor by giving, and that's so true. Now, what else does the Bible say about giving? Here's what it says. Ready? Give to where you're being taught. Exodus 23, 19 says, Bring the best of your first, uh, first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that God wants the first of your increase. He's a God of firsts. So, do we write God a check? Do I just write God there? Just, woo! No, you don't do that, Okay. But what you see in the Old Testament is you see people bringing their tithe into what they call the storehouse, into the, a side room of the temple. In the New Testament, what do you see? You see people bringing their money to the church. Again, that's where they were being taught. Now, here's what I see a lot of people do. 
they pull out their, their you know, what, what God has given them, and they say, okay, I'm going to take my, my tenth, and I'm going to divide it up amongst all of these different ministries, okay? Let me tell you what happens when you do that. Everybody suffers. The church suffers, the parachurch suffers, everybody suffers, all right? Now, I'm going to tell you something, all right? I am unashamedly a believer in supporting the local church first. Why? Because this is the bride of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. It is God's plan for evangelizing the world. It is his plan for taking care of the widow and the poor and the needy. And I know some of you, you have ministries that are on your heart and they do this or that. Listen, nobody could ever in their right mind accuse Westridge of not evangelizing the world, doing their part to evangelize the world and taking care of widows, poor, and needy. We've been all about that since day one. All right? But when we, listen, when we take our money and we spread it all over the place, let me tell you what that's like. That's like going to Longhorns, ordering a big, fat, juicy steak and enjoying it and paying the check over at Texas Roadhouse. Okay? That's what that's like. And the Bible says, bring to God not only the first fruits, but bring it to where you're being taught. Then the Bible also said that God's kingdom is built through his people's giving. Now I want to paint a picture for you for just a moment, okay? And I want you to see this. I think we're going to put it up here. Um, last year, the year 2010, there were 2,163 giving families at Westridge Church, all right? Those giving families averaged throughout the year $1,617. 66% of those families gave less than $1,000 last year. Think about that. The average income, okay, according to the census, latest census of Northwest Atlanta, okay, the five counties that we reach and then there's a couple others, is about $62,000 per household, all right? Now, I want you to see this. If every family gave a tithe, gave 10%, we would take in, in this next year, $13,410,600. If every family gave five, just 5%, Six million seven hundred and five three hundred three hundred dollars. Our budget need this year is about five point five million dollars. I want you to dream with me for a moment about what could happen. What could happen if we just did what God asked us to do and just to tithe? Thirteen million dollars. We could pay this building off in the next few years, and maybe even quicker. We could fund all of these ministries that are on our hearts that we support. I mean. We wouldn't have to divvy out all these little portions to all this stuff. We, I mean, think of what we could do in investing in our children and our students and, and our, co- I mean, our college students and single adults. I mean, it would be amazing what we could do if we just did what God asked. Listen, God's kingdom is built through his people's giving. Now, the next part I know you're going to like. God positions us for supernatural blessing. What else does God's word say? God positions us when we give for supernatural blessings through giving. Look at Malachi chapter 3. All right? Old Testament. Here's what it says. Bring the whole tithe, the whole tithe, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. He says, test me in this. And I love how God identifies himself in this passage. He says, says the Lord Almighty. Just to show, listen, I want you to know how strong I am, how able I am. He says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. 
and I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the, vine, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it, it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all of the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says again the Lord Almighty. God says, test me. It is the only place in the Bible where God gives us permission to test him. And he says, if you will do this, if you will trust me here, see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven. See if if I don't have the ability to pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So the very first thing I want to ask you to do is just when when you get paid, write your very first check to God. The very first thing, flip the list over. Write your very first check to God. Second after you give, write yourself a check and put it into, the saving, into your savings account. If you can do 10 here, 10 here, and live off 80, that's great. Why? Because saving is good stewardship. We always need money for emergencies. You need money for emergencies. You may have someone else that may need your help if they fall into an emergency. Even if, if, so, so save. Even if it's just a, a, a tiny, tiny bit. The third thing, pay your taxes. Okay? If you don't do that, you're going to jail. Okay? Seriously. All right? Fourth is debt. I want to challenge you to get rid of all of your high-interest consumer debt. Come up with a plan to get debt-free, and we're going to help you do that sometime in the next couple weeks if you will just dig into the, all the stuff that we're going to provide for you. And then give. Let me challenge you to flip your priorities. Give first, save second, pay your taxes, pay your debt. And then the last thing, guess what? Spend. You can spend. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Lord, Brian, listen, between God and the government, it's all gone. I don't have anything left. God and the government got it all. What do I do now? Listen, can I tell you something? God is the master of leftovers. God is the master of leftovers. And I could stand up here all day long and tell stories of of people who, who have gotten a hold of these stewardship principles. Tithe, save, pay taxes, get out of debt, spend. And when they finally said to God, listen, God, I'm going to seek God first, and I'm going to make God's kingdom. I'm going to make, that, make sure that, that that is funded. And, and Lord, I'm going to change my principles. I'm going to change my lifestyles to follow these principles. I can't tell you the amount of people who have come to me and said, listen, I had a three-year plan to get out of debt, and it happened quicker. I can't, even, I can't even explain to you how that happened. I could share personal stories of how God has engaged Amy and I over the last several years, and it's been so faithful. I hear stories of how God has just, he's blessed unexpectedly. Now, here's a question you may be asking yourself. Sh- you know, should I get out of debt first before, I, uh, before I, I give you know, and start? No. You've been holding out on God for years. Don't hold back any longer. Get him involved right now. Invite him into your finances. Start with percentage giving. If you could do 10, great. But here's what you need to know. God says, test me test me. See, ultimately, you have to ask yourself this question. Do you believe that God is God? Do you believe that he's faithful? Do you believe that what he says in his word is actually true? Are you willing to recognize God as God over this area of your life? And the reason why it's spoken of so often in scripture is because God knew that we would struggle with it. And that's why he says you can't serve both. You cannot serve two masters. One has to be Lord over other. And if you can get your pla- yourself to the place where one is Lord over others, here's what God says. I'll take the stress off of you. I'll take the financial burden off. 
I'm not going to give you a raise. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not promising that, but I'll, I'll take the burden off. But he says, if you'll, test, if you'll test me with this and you'll begin to invest, God says, as you invest in my kingdom, I'll take care of yours because I know what you need. I know what you need. And I am much better at taking care of what you need than you are. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. I want you to think about, just for a moment, I want you to think about the way you handle your finances. And I want you to think about that brokenomics philosophy that we threw up on the screen a few moments ago. And ask yourself the question, is that how I have been investing? Is that what my financial world looks like? I I can almost promise you one of two things. If that's the way that you've been dealing with things, you're probably stressed out and worried. Or you're just broke. And you're broken, not just financially, but you're broken in many, many other ways. God says, listen, flip the list over. Stop giving me leftovers and invest your best first and watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. Not only do I have the ability to take the stress and the burden off of your life, but I also have the ability to provide for what you need when you need it. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's basically inviting God into your financial world so that he can take that burden and so that you, not only, that, not only can you begin to invest in what he's doing, but that he can begin to take care of what you have going on in your life. You may just need to have a moment of just prayer right now. And just, I realize that this is a moment, you know, when you start talking about finances, it's, there's a lot of fear involved. There's a lot of stress involved. Um, there's a, maybe even a lot of suspicion, especially when pastors start speaking about money. But listen, I have watched over the last few years so much unhealthiness and how this economy has caused people to get divorces. It's caused families to fall apart, people to lose their homes. And it's heartbreaking. When you look on our prayer blog and you see all of the, the stuff that's, that's fallen out of that, I would be doing you a disservice if I did not speak from God's word about what God says about money. And so I'm compelled to do that. But you have to answer the question, am I going to trust God in this area of my life? Now again, we're going to provide the resources for you over the next few weeks. You've got to take that step. You've got to invite God into this and just trust him. Now, there may be some of you in here this morning, you know, Let's take the whole money thing and put it over here. Let's take your whole life, which you know is impacted by finances, but your life as you see it as, it, as it is. And I want to ask you a question. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not just as the Savior or the Lord of your money, but as the Savior and Lord of your life. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Him alone to be your personal Savior, this is where you start right here. If you've never done that, I just want you to, if you want to pray with me, you don't know what to say, just say something like this. Lord Jesus, right now, I want to tell you that I believe that you are the Son of God. I confess with my mouth mouth, that you are the Son of God, that you are Lord, not just over my finances, but of my life. And Lord, I may not even know what all that means, but Lord, what I want to do right now is I want to repent of my sin. 
the sin of unbelief and how that sin of unbelief has caused everything else to fall out of order. And Lord, I put all of my faith and my trust in you alone. I come by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. And I ask you to save me, to rescue me, to be the Lord of my life.